So the scripture readings this morning are from Numbers chapter 12 and Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10. First of all, Numbers chapter 12. Perhaps it seems a little random that I should come with Numbers chapter 12 about the rebellion of uh, Miriam and Aaron. But of course, in my defense, um, any guest minister who comes with a sermon, it's, it's always somewhat random. I'm sure your own minister is taking you systematically through a um, certain part of Revelation. So Numbers 12, and I'm preaching on this because I am uh, allowed to uh, teach um, a, a group of Koran, Koran refugees, and we have been going through the Old Testament, and we went through the book of Numbers, and we took note of the many rebellions, seven, some say eight rebellions uh, in the book of Numbers in the history. So this is the rebellion of Miriam and Aaron. So we start reading Numbers 12. It's our Old Testament reading and also the text for this morning's sermon. So we will just read it this one time. Listen to the word of God. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman, and they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses." He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against, him, against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed uh, from over the tent... Behold, Miriam was leprous like snow, and Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when, uh, it comes, when, she, when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. 
After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Please turn to uh, the epistle to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, we're reading some verses from chapter 3 and from chapter 10. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house, has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And then from Hebrews chapter 10, same letter, chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As I said a moment ago, Numbers 12 is the text for this morning's sermon. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you committed a sin that still haunts you? Are the things you have done or said that continue to weigh heavily on your heart that makes it feel like you are carrying a heavy burden, much like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress? Are the things you wish you had not done or that you wish you could undo? Are the words that you wish you could pull back into your mouth? You think to yourself, oh, I wish I had not done that. I wish I had not spoken those words. I would take those words back into my mouth if I could. What was I thinking? Or how could I have been so unthinking, so foolish, so senseless? Beloved, if you are weighted down by an evil conscience, 
Listen to the message of grace and forgiveness as it comes to you today. I've um, put this as a theme, the theme for the sermon. The main thought, the Lord is gracious despite man's supreme arrogance. In our text, we hear about an arrogant attack, a decisive judgment, a gracious forgiveness. So first of all, an arrogant attack. Now, just a few moments, I should say just a few sentences about the historical context. Not long after the children of Israel had, had left Mount Sinai, remember they came from Egypt across the Red Sea, very quickly to Sinai. They spent some time there at Mount Sinai. Shortly after they left Mount Sinai, Miriam and Aaron, uh, Miriam and Aaron, so Moses' sister and brother, rebelled against him. This is not the first rebellion. The children of Israel were constantly grumbling, arguing, complaining about and against Moses and against God. There had already been several rebellions. Even now, Aaron and Miriam rebelled against Moses and against God. They were encamped at a place called Hazaroth, not far from Mount Sinai, where the Lord had met his people, had established covenant with them, had given them the gospel, had spoken about how he had set them free from Egypt, from the land of slavery, and given them his Ten Commandments. Hazaroth was only the second stop after they had left Mount Sinai. First they had camped at a place called Kibroth Hatava, and then at Hazaroth. Now the opening words of our text say that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. They were both guilty of this rebellion, but Miriam was the instigator. Note that her name is mentioned first, says Miriam and Aaron. And in fact, the Hebrew text makes that clear, actually more clear than the English translation, the English language is able to um, render a precise translation. The Hebrew makes it very clear that it was Miriam and Aaron. It could even be translated, Miriam spoke and also Aaron against Moses. So Miriam and Aaron's attack against Moses began with their criticism of his marital status, of the woman he had taken as his wife. They don't even have the decency in the class to call her by name. She is unnamed. She is simply the Cushite. Now, who was this Cushite woman whom Moses had married? Cush is an ancient name for the country that today we call Ethiopia. The Cushite Empire began at the southern end of Egypt and went far south deep into Africa. Likely, this woman was from there. Now, we know that many 
other people had left Egypt together with Israel when Israel went out. Then sometimes it's called a rabble or a mixed rabble. A mixed group of people uh, went out with them on the, the, uh, the, the great exodus. Was this woman from that group? Possibly, perhaps even probably. Now, perhaps you are thinking, the children here, you've only been out, out of school for a week, so it's all firmly implanted in your mind, of course, the Bible stories that your teacher told you, and you're thinking, hmm, hang on a sec. I thought that Moses was married to a woman called Zipporah, Zipporah of Midian, daughter of, of Jethro, the, uh, the tribal leader and the high priest, the priest of Midian. Now, Midian was in a completely different direction from Cush. Mir uh, Midian, Midian and Cush were several thousand kilometers from each other. If you're at Egypt, then Cush is far to the south, whereas Midian is far to the east, several thousand kilometers in a different direction. Well, the commentaries have fun with this. They go in all sorts of different directions when they comment on the Cushite woman and Zipporah. Likely, I just say likely, Zipporah had died and Moses had married again. He had married this Cushite woman. Without going down all sorts of interesting rabbit trails, as fun as they are to go down, and down into rabbit holes, this is, I think, a sensible way to understand this. But, Moses, but, but Mir Miriam and Aaron's objection to Moses, Moses' choice of a wife, whatever their objection was, whether it was a matter of that she was not really truly from the stock of the children of Israel, so whether it was sort of a prejudice of some sort. What we do know is that it was a smokescreen for their real objection against Moses. Their real objection is stated in verse 2. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also sp spoken through us? They were rebelling against Moses' leadership. They were arrogantly uh, presuming that they were equal with Moses. Of the three siblings, perhaps you remember, the children remember who was the youngest. Well, M Moses was the youngest of the three. Perhaps they could not stomach that their youngest brother was taking this role of position, of, was given this position of leadership. And if you want to pre be precise, if you want to play their, their game, then the Lord did speak through Moses and Aaron. That was a fact. Um, 
through, through Miriam, I should say, Miriam and, and Aaron. Miriam was a prophetess and a leading woman among the women, among the sisters in Israel. After the Lord had brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea, then we read in Exodus 15, 20, and 21, then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them this song, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has cast and he is thrown into the sea. This song was given to Miriam by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So indeed she was a prophetess. There's no denying that. And Moses, not even God, would have denied that. As for Aaron, do you remember children, what he bore on his chest and that ephod? He bore those two somewhat mysterious stones called the Urim and Thummim, which probably mean, going by what I learned from Dr. Van Dam, uh, my Old Testament professor, which means something like perfect lights. And the, the Urim and Thummim were used to reveal the will of God. So when they asked, when Miriam and Aaron asked, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? One would need to answer, no. The Lord has not spoken only through Moses. And when they asked, has he not spoken through us also? One would need to answer, yes, the Lord has also spoken through Miriam and Aaron. Where was the problem? The problem lay in their conceit and their arrogance. They were not happy with Moses' leadership. This is not just a family squabble. This was a big problem. No, they, they were objecting to how God had ordained that things should be among the children of Israel. They were seeking glory for themselves. The Greeks had a great word for this. That, that Greek word is hubris, coming to the English language. Hubris is conceit, it is vanity, it is pride, it is haughtiness, it is self-importance. That was the attitude that Miriam and Aaron were displaying. The priests and the prophetess gang up against the God-given and appointed mediator. What a mess. Please note verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. So we have here, on the one hand, the arrogance of Miriam and Aaron, and on the other hand, the meekness, the humility of Moses. Now, meek does not mean weak. It might rhyme with weak, 
but it does not equal weak weakness. It does not mean that Moses was a pushover. We know that from some of the other stories in, the, um, uh, in Exodus and Numbers. Think only about the golden calf episode. Moses was, became, became so furious that they were worshiping the golden calf was actually their first rebellion already in Exodus, that he pulverized the golden calf, poured it in water, and forced everybody to drink it. Now Moses was able to do that, to control the whole people and to make them do that, show that he, he, could, he could be furious. But he always placed himself, with some exceptions, we sang about that in Psalm 106, with some exceptions, he always placed himself under the authority of God. Miriam and Aaron, they did the opposite. Likely, verse 3, about Moses being the most meek man on earth was added by a later editor. And our English translation indicates that, that they have that opinion by placing it in parentheses. By a later editor, under, of course, under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. It's hard to imagine Moses himself having written that we call uh, the first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses. Moses wrote them, and it's sort of hard to Imagine that he would have penned those words. So probably added by a later editor under the uh, superintendence of the Holy Spirit. Now there are some simple les lessons here, uh, here for us, beloved. Lessons for both those who, are, uh, those who lead and those who are being led. The lesson for leaders is to be, be like Moses. That goes for all leaders, whether it be office bearers in the church, whether it be parents in the home, in families. Moses was a humble man who did what the Lord required of him, even when it was difficult. And you know that it was often went very difficultly for Moses. Think of the trouble and hardship he endured when he endeavored to lead the children of Israel out according to the command of God. Think of the troubles that he experienced repeatedly. So let all, eater, let all leaders lead with Moses-like humility. But even more than using Moses as a model, more than that, use Christ as a model. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who said that he was meek and lowly and that he came not to be served, that wasn't his first motive, but to serve. And there is a lesson for those who are led. Members of the congregation, children and families, we as Canadian citizens, we must humbly submit to those whom God put over us. Let us never 
say about our leaders, who do they think they are to place to, to rule over us? Are we not as good as they? Such an attitude is hubris, and it is not pleasing to God. And then the second thing that we want to speak about is the decisive judgment of our God. In the midst of their attack, the Lord spoke to Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. He told, he told them to appear before him before, in, before the tent of meeting. And the great pillar, remember children, that great pillar of cloud which led the people, Israel, through the wilderness, a turn to a pillar of fire and night to lead them at night and to defend them uh, at night. That great pillar of God's presence appeared before the tent, and God spoke out of the cloud. He spoke to Miriam and Aaron, and he rendered a judgment. The Lord's judgment consisted of two parts. First, in his judgment, he defended his servant, jo uh, his servant Moses. And then, secondly, he punished Miriam and Aaron, and especially Miriam. In defending Moses, the Lord compared him to other prophets. He said the, the, Lord, the Lord from time to time would speak through prophets, and he would speak through riddles, he would speak through visions, he would speak through dreams. But his revelation to Moses, through Moses, was different. With Moses, the Lord spoke, as it says, and that's a faithful translation, mouth to mouth. That means that they had a conversation. God spoke, Moses heard. Moses spoke, God heard. The Lord did not speak to Moses in riddles and dreams. And Moses saw the form of God. Remember, children, remember once in Exodus chapter 33 that Moses asked the Lord, he said, Lord God, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. The Lord said that was, that, 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 that was not possible. For as great as Moses was, mediator of the Old Covenant, he was, still, he was still a sinful human being. And being a sinful human being, if the Lord God had revealed his glory to Moses, Moses would have been destroyed, would have been burnt up in an instant. God, rather, we read there in Exodus 33, God hid Moses in the cleft of a rock, put his hand over Moses over that cleft and passed by. And Moses was able to see the back of God, the form of God. Here in verse 8, the Lord reminded them of that. Moses was the only one allowed to see the form of God. No one else had ever seen the form of God. God 
spoke mouth to mouth only with Moses. In verse 7, the Lord said that Moses was faithful in God's house. From there we need to go to our New Testament reading in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3 refers back to what the Lord had said about Moses, but makes the point that Moses, that, that Jesus is like Moses in that Moses was faithful and Jesus was faithful, but Jesus is much greater than Moses. That's the point. That's the point that the, the letter to the Hebrews often makes, that the Lord Jesus Christ was greater, a greater priest, a greater king, a greater servant, a greater sacrifice, greater than all of the prophets, priests, and kings of the Old Testament. Whereas Moses was a servant in God's house, that's the point Hebrews 3 is making. Jesus was, is a son in God's house. Whereas Moses heard the word of God, Jesus is the word of God. Now we can learn something from the fact that the Lord defended Moses. Moses did not need to defend himself. You see that he, he doesn't defend himself. He didn't need to and he did not. He left it all up to God. There's a lesson there for us, beloved. If you are wronged, and if someone attacks you, leave the judgment to the Lord. He will set everything right when he returns on the great judgment day, and he will be your defender. The second way in which the Lord rendered judgment was in punishing Miriam and Aaron and especially the instigator of the trouble, especially Miriam. The anger of the Lord burned against Miriam and Aaron and, when, and, and burned against them and then we read, and then the Lord departed. When the cloud of God's presence had gone, Miriam was leprous. Leprosy in those times referred to a cluster of, uh, cluster of skin diseases. There are several chapters, especially in Leviticus, Leviticus 13 and 14, that talk extensively about skin diseases and about leprosy, boils, ulcers, skin that peeled off. Leprous, uh, conditions made a person unclean so that he had to withdraw from the community and he could not worship the Lord in the midst of the community. Today God does not punish arrogant people in such ways but from this we learn what the Lord thinks of conceit, of arrogance, of hubris and what the Lord thinks of those who maliciously and insidiously attack those whom God has set over them. They are storing up for themselves wrath, which will be unleashed against them on the final day if they don't first repent. 
Now why, we might ask, and it would be a good question, why did God not punish Aaron also with leprosy? I mean, he was, he was in on it. Miriam may be the instigator, but Aaron was the cheerleader. He was right there with Miriam. Well, for two reasons. Remember, first of all, that Miriam was the instigator. But also, if the Lord, think about what life in Israel would have been like if the high priest had been rendered unclean. The whole sacrificial ministry would have come to a halt. The whole sacrificial ministry was centered in the high priest. So even in God's punishment, even as God meets out his wrath, we see some mercy. And that brings us finally then to speak about God's gracious forgiveness. Aaron looked at Miriam and he was horrified. And he begged Moses to do something, not to punish them for their sin. He begged that Miriam not be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. Aaron was, Aaron was right, was correct in confessing their sin. But note that he asked Moses not to punish them. He, he was the high priest. He should have directed his confession and plea to the Lord. But okay, the fact is that he directed it to Moses. Moses then did the only thing that he could do, and he interceded for her. He proves himself to be the faithful mediator of the old covenant. He shows himself faithfully to be pointing to the great final and perfect mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ. So in this episode, we see the utter failure of the offices of priest and prophet. Aaron the priest, Miriam, numbered among the prophets, prophetess. These two offices are in shambles it is up to Moses, the faithful mediator, to intercede for those who have no hope. With Aaron and Miriam shut down, there was really no hope left. In this way, Moses, the faithful mediator of the Old Covenant, is pointing forward towards the great and final perfect mediator, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness for Miriam. There is healing for her. And yet she must bear the consequences. It is as if her father had spat in her, in her face. To have your face spat in is an ultimate shaming. 
We read, one, we read somewhere about a time that someone was enjoined to spit into the face of someone else. It was a command. It's in Deuteronomy 25, verse 9. The Old Testament law speaks there about a case of a, a man dying um, and leaving his wife a widow without any, any children. And then it is up to that dead man's brother to take the wife and to raise up offspring for the dead brother. And if he refuses to do that, in some cases a man might, for whatever reason, refuse to do that. If the brother is unwilling, if the younger, if the other brother, the, the surviving brother, is unwilling to do that, then the widow is called to publicly, within the city gates, within the presence of the elders, to spit in the brother's face. And the brother would carry, would ever carry that shame with him. So the Lord refer, refers to that instance. If a father if her father had spat in her face, she would be ashamed. Miriam is forgiven, and she is healed, but she must bear the consequences of the shame by being quarantined. Quarantined, we know all about that. Quarantined uh, outside the camp for seven days. And her experience of God's discipline of her was to stand as a reminder for all, for the children of Israel, for the whole community. As Moses said in Deuteronomy 24.9, in one of his farewell, in his grand farewell speech to the children of Israel, he says in Deuteronomy 24 and 9, Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way you came out of Egypt. They were ever to remember that. Brothers and sisters, have you committed a sin that has brought deep shame upon you and your family? Perhaps you are carrying with you the shame of past sin. I would encourage you this day to look to Jesus Christ, the final and perfect mediator. Moses was great, but Jesus is much greater. He is the final and perfect priest and prophet. Moses did great work. He's one of the great men of the, of the, the Old Testament, but his work was imperfect and it was flawed. The work of Christ is all takes all the perfection, the, the goodness of Moses, and perfects it. Moses, the, the work that Christ did was final and perfect, better than Moses. And what did Christ do? Christ took the responsibility for all of your sin, took responsibility for it all upon himself. And he 
took it to the cross, and your sin is nailed to the cross, and it remains there. Christ does not turn around and take your sins off the cross and give them back to you. And Jesus now prays for you. Remember, he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God, continually interceding for you. That's where Jesus is now and that's what he is doing. So look to Christ. Very simple. At the end of, end of it all, a very simple message. Look to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all your sins. After her work week, I should say, of being quarantined, Miriam was restored to the community. Verse 15 speaks about that. What a happy day that was. The community waited for her. You see that? They waited for her waited for her to be to go through that week of 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 quarantine waiting for her to be brought in again and as she is brought in again to the community then they continue their journey towards the promised land <clears throat> brothers and sisters we are journeying together towards the promised land, the heavenly promised land, towards the better country. Hebrews calls it the better country. That's where we're going. And we are all in this together, brothers and sisters, all in this together. Let us wait for each other. Let us help one another. Let us encourage each other. And when one falters and falls, let us be quick to give that brother and sister a hand and to pull, pull them up again. Let each of us know, and, and let each of us know that there is no sin so great that it cannot be forgiven. Other than the sin against the Holy Spirit, which is a whole different topic, and we're not going to go down uh, address that today. But we may be fully assured, very familiar words from the Lord's Supper form, we may be fully assured that no sin or weakness which still remains in us against our will can prevent us. You hear that? There's no sin that, that can prevent you from being received by God in grace. As the Holy Spirit says in Hebrews 10, 21 and 22, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean, our hearts in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. You hear those words? Beloved, hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Not only does the blood of Christ wash away our sin, it does that. Our hearts are also cleansed from an evil conscience. 
top to bottom, side to side, front to back. In every direction, we are cleansed and renewed and made well again. Draw near to this Jesus, beloved. Draw near to him, believe in him, love him, and embrace him, and know that you are loved by him. And then we may sing with confidence and joy, O Lord, I will praise you forever, and you I hope and trust. It's all your doing. God my Savior, you give me peace and rest. Amen.